As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Welcome to this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to have Jennifer Brown, founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, the host of The Will to Change, and best-selling author of two books. The first one, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive and inclusion, diversity, the new workplace, and will to change. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Mike. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am as well. I am as well. So Jennifer, I have been following some of your content, attracted to your content through the the way that social media knows, like here's something that this human would like to read. (laughs) So it worked. It connected the two of us and um, have followed, have read your first book, have followed your podcast and followed your content. And you, in particular, have made a positive impact on me understanding more other categories of diversity and inclusion. And, you know, I speak often to our audience around racial inclusion, religious inclusion, but also you've helped me and some of my learning on the LGBTQ plus community. And I thank you very much for that. Sure. I'm so glad. Thank you for describing the value like that. It's so important to me to represent both the visible and invisible diversity dimensions too. And in fact, you could argue there's probably way more that are not visible or that are concealable, which is a fascinating thing to think about what are we still feeling the stigma of in terms of our own identity, our own truth? And then what are the choices we want to make about bringing that to the organization that we work in? And, you know, what are the pluses and minuses, if you will? (laughs) Absolutely. And one of the questions that continues to come up is DEI and B and the future of work. Everyone has this fascination with the future of work. I like to tell individuals that like today is the future right? Because yesterday was the past. So we (laughs) have the opportunity to make impact now. And what we want to do is come alongside of our listeners today and really encourage, inspire, prompt questions and create a conversation, including we're going to provide a link that if you want to learn more about DEI, you can join a community call with Jennifer and her team. You can download white papers and a research study that they've provided and also take an inclusive leader assessment. So let's start unpacking here, Jennifer, the most recent work that you've done of how to be an inclusive leader. Can you share a little bit about what is your desire and outcome that you hope leaders take away from that writing? Yes, thank you for asking me. That's my second book. It's called How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. The subtitle was very carefully chosen. My first book was more of a, not a textbook, but a more of an overview, right? The macro picture of why does this matter? You know, why are we talking about it? And a little tasting tray of all the things that um, were going on a couple of years ago when I wrote it, it came out in 2017. 
And then How to Be an Inclusive Leader was 2019. Nobody at that point could imagine what 2020 would contain so much. (laughs) I felt like defies description, but was so important. What an important year, watershed year for lots of very, very difficult reasons, but actually a lot of progress as well, I'd say. Because knowledge is progress, right? Awareness is progress. Realizing we aren't as far along as we thought we were is so important because imagine if we had gone forward without understanding that we need to to go back first in our own understanding, in our own truth telling, like in our own soul searching as leaders, as people, but also as a country. So the year has given so many gifts out of the pain because truth is a gift, right? It, it's really critical. So that future of work, if we hadn't had a year like this, I think where we got really super real with each other as, and is difficult in, and sort of vulnerable as it has been and still is, we might not be building on such a truthful foundation what that future of work really looks like. We would still, for example, some of us may still not be at the table, virtual or otherwise, constructing that future reality right? And we've learned now more than ever this past year, who's been missing? Who has not been seen and heard? Whose experience isn't understood Mm -hmm. or documented or resourced or acknowledged? And all of that has taken us deeper so that whatever we build next, I think will be on a, a stronger foundation. So back to your question though, Mike, the book was, I think, for the individual. I felt there was a lot of confusion and fear and hesitation on the part of leaders. And this was back when I wrote it, which was 2018, because it came out in 2019, about like, what is this DEI thing? Where do I fit in? What if I'm white and, and male and, and straight? And I work with a lot of executives who fit that description, because actually most executive suites fit that description, mostly. And yet have so much power to potentially, you know, get involved and and make change. So I wrote it to say, here's a roadmap. Here's a model. So there's a model in the book. That's kind of the centerpiece of the book. And it tells you, um, so where are you? And it's, there's no judgments. There's no, I'm not in the business of shaming. I don't think we learn from shame, a place of shame. And so it's an encouraging, concrete very actionable model that has the assessment that goes along with it so that you feel like, okay, I can relax when I know where I stand, also that I'm not alone, also that I'm not a bad person, but I may not have done enough or of the right things or, you know, gotten comfortable being uncomfortable, like we talk so much about. And it encourages that right next step versus kind of blanket saying, here's where you should be. And I don't care how you get there, but get there tomorrow. It's not realistic for a lot of us. I mean, 2020 has been a lot of, for some of us, new information. For some others of us, this has been our life for a really long time. So it's like, oh, where have you been? You know, glad you're waking up. We've all been waiting for you. (laughs) So it's a little bit of that. But I want to have compassion for all learners at all levels. And I want to remind people that we were all learners at some point. You know, there's There's really no point in sort of saying, well, I know all the answers, you don't, and therefore you're a bad person. It doesn't really get us anywhere. Yeah. And as you said, everyone is individually at a different place in the continuum, right? We often define it on our podcast, Jennifer, as like there's a group of people that are at the 
front of the alphabet just getting started, like they're just recognizing the hurt, the difficulty that others have carried with them, the burdens, the privilege, and then there's others that are living in it or are just very in tune, very compassionate, are active allies and are finding ways to serve and use their voice to help bring other people together and along and with one another. Your assessment, I'd love to, for you to share a little bit about the goal of your assessment. We're going to provide a link in our show notes, which will be on our website. But could you share a little bit about what, what, why the assessment? Where why did the assessment? From? Yeah, well, the assessment makes the concepts in the book more real. Uh, and one of the most amazing things, which I probably could have predicted that happens, is people take the assessment and then they read the book and then they take it again and their scores are different. And uh, usually they are not as high because the model in the book is, a, is what we might call a progression model. So it's a model from phase one to phase four. So it implies, it implies a progression along a journey. So I think why that happens, of course, is we either overestimate, I think, how we've kind of, I've got this, I understand this. It's the famous, like, I have daughters, so therefore I understand what needs to happen. And of course, I'm, of course, I'm a gender advocate, but it's, it's not that simple. Just being related to somebody or being well-intended or having certain values and valuing equality, even, I would say, is not enough to shift outcomes for all of the people represented in our workplaces. So that's one of like sort of the biggest thresholds that we need to get people across, which is the impact intent versus impact, right? I intend to be to be a good person does not mean our actions are actually challenging and advocating and shifting and refocusing or rebuilding or questioning, you know, that is the activated ally. That is ultimately where we want to be is we know we have a voice. We know how to use it. We know what questions to ask. We know what's, what are the sensitivities and the nuances that we can see. We've evaluated ourselves really honestly. That's somebody doing their work and yes, getting comfortable being uncomfortable, because by the way, for all of us, I'm sure you'd agree, Mike, it can be really threatening to our ego, right? To say, wait a second, I have bias? Like, what do you mean? Like, that can't possibly be true. Or what do you mean people in my organization feel this way? Like, that can be very destabilizing to some of us who've been leading in a certain way for a long time and been rewarded for that. And then all of a sudden to say, wow, I, I didn't realize the disparities are so stark. and and that we're losing this group or that group or that people are experiencing this as like a toxic culture when that's never been my experience. So it's that calibration that's such a really important moment we're at now to, to say, okay, so what is that gap and why does it exist? It exists because we have our own lens and our own understanding of our experience, which is, which is informed by our identity. I can walk through the world in a certain way and have a radically different experience. I can feel safer. I can feel not as victimized, I can feel more confidence because people will listen to me. I will, at the same time though, as an LGBTQ plus woman, cisgender woman, because my pronouns are she, her, I'm also super aware of when I'm the only, you know, when I'm somebody who 
people might presume identifies as like heterosexual because they just don't think it could, they, it doesn't cross their mind. So it's really fascinating. I always feel like I have a foot in different worlds and or a Rubik's cube that you kind of twist this way. And it's like, well, did you know this about me? And then you can't see back to front. You can't see what's here, but I would never trust you with that because it's so vulnerable for me to talk about it. Those are the sorts of relationships we need to build in the workplace and really see the human and invite that and create enough psychological safety that people trust us with what's true for them, because that's the only place we can really build from. Otherwise, we're building on false pretenses and we're, we have our head in the sand. I love the, what you just shared. Thank you for sharing it with, our, with myself and with our audience. The psychological safe work environment is something that is being taught. I know it's been talked about for a while, but not like it has been over the last year. Yeah. Right. Are there certain steps or are there tools or there self-awareness that enables us to say are, I mean, how does someone answer, is my environment psychologically safe? Oh, such a good question. Yeah, that is the question. That's right. And according to whom? So really saying to yourself, what does safety feel like to me? Like, how would I define that? And then as you learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you you inevitably realize that we are, are in the same storm, but in different boats. So the same storm is the work, workforce, workplace, right? Your company, your environment, same storm. But we're, we're having a very different experience. Some of us feel like we're, <laughs> we're getting swamped or we are swamped and sort of keeping our head above water, right? Every single day. And that's, I think that exhaustion is so unnecessary. And yet we haven't, like you say, we have not done this work. I think this is new, new landscape. So safe according to whom, whose definition, how much have I investigated the other's definition and then how do they experience this and, and been extremely, not just curious, like curious doesn't go far enough for me. I like to say invested in understanding and acting upon. That's what I really want is that proactive piece. It's not just, oh, my door's open. Come and talk to me anytime. <laughs> People are not going to come through that door. So we have to set this up and we have to earn the trust, I think, through the, our words and deeds and our actions and our speaking about our own journey. So I always recommend share the book around, have a book club, you know, talk about your aha moments, talk about how uncomfortable you are as you're learning certain things, talk about the language you don't know. You know, I think people really, it endears humans to each other when we can say, this is me, this is me, vulnerable, not having the answers. And it's especially something that I think leaders are very allergic to, <laughs> is being real in that way. But it's like, you're not fooling anyone, honestly. If you're of a certain identity and you're of a certain generation, you're probably going to know very little about, unless like you said earlier, you're a very activated ally for some reason. You could have a parent with a disability. So at a young age, you were in it. You learned, you know, what the disparities are. You learn how to use your voice. You learn how to advocate. So that all of this is like, oh, another thing to advocate for. I, I, I understand this. I have this muscle. But the muscle is what we've got to develop with the little weights and then go up in weight. You know, we, we have to like help the leader along. So so how do I know about psychological safety? I ask, I am relentlessly investigating. I'm 
taking off my lens and putting other people's lenses on and really sort of believing everything we're told to, like not arguing with it, not saying, well, that's not right, or how can that be true? Or, you know, that's just us protecting our ego and it's us protecting our culture and saying, well, that we're not like that here. Whenever you hear yourself say that, there's so much you don't know. There's so, there is not a single organization I've ever spoken to and interviewed and collected data from where there aren't like disparate experiences and impacts going on because the workplace, I like to say, Mike, the workplace wasn't built by and for a lot of people. And that's a problem because that harm that's being caused is everywhere because of the blind spots that we had when we were originally at that table building. We didn't have a, a, the viewpoints that would have brought about, well, what about this? And what about that? And wait a second, that's going to rule out all these people, or that's going to be really difficult for this group of people that doesn't have that kind of support. There was none of that discussion. And so we're laboring in this system that is very sort of one-dimensional. And I think that until we sort of solve for that, we're going to be using a lot of band-aids, but we got to get to the root and say, you talk about the future of work, Unfortunately or fortunately, we have to kind of leave no stone unturned looking for the biases that have been kind of allowed to exist for a really long time that haven't been challenged or identified or changed. And that's, that's really, that's tough work, actually. It requires a lot of bravery and, you know, systems don't want to change, people don't want to change. So there's going to be a lot of protection and saying, no, you know, we've always done it this way and it works. And how do you know it works? Well, it works for me or it works for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who does it not work for? Anyway, so yeah, psychological safety, I mean, belonging. So you said B, which is for belonging. So a lot of people are adding D-E-I-B or DIBS, diversity, inclusion, belonging. I mean, there's other words and acronyms flying around, but belonging is the place we want to get to so people feel they can rest, they can breathe, they can feel comfortable and safe. And there, then from there, they can create, they can collaborate. Yeah, that's, there's a friend of mine. I don't know. Do you know Torn Ellis? Oh yeah, I love Torn. Yes. So Torn's been, you know, he's been sharing a lot. Like, you know, it's the next equation to our listeners. Like it's like, if people don't feel the safety and the connection of belonging, we recently, Jennifer had, Vanessa Mason, a research director at the Institute for the Future of the Future, who's studying belonging. She has an open source resource that people are coming into this community and sharing their thoughts. And she's researching the power of belonging and why right now it's overemphasized that it's really missing, right? That we've disconnected, we've you know, we're not socializing, we're not interacting with our normal circle of friends because of what we've all dealt with over the last year. But without that, without feeling like I can be here, there's a lot of organizations that say, well, we hire diverse talent, they just don't stay. And <laughs> Whose responsibility is that? <laughs> right. And, and there's so much of that component is that, well, they, they don't feel as though they're welcome when they join you and some of the way that you talk and communicate and engage is, as you're referencing, through the cisgender male viewpoint, right? That's right. That's right. The other equation, you know, we've all grown up with this topic of 
you know, treat people how you would want to be treated. Oh, yes. Such a, I mean, really now it's like, wow, such a selfish view. I should be asking you. <laughs> how do you, how want, do to you want to be treated? to be treated? So <laughs> one of the things that we do at the Talent Magnet Institute is we're developing leaders, actively developing leaders on our platform to really understand the power and the impact of helping people feel and experience what it's like to feel valued, heard, and understood, right? And when you can bring, what does bringing your whole self look like? When you can show up and allow someone to truly bring all of their, like when I'm hiring you, it's like, you know, we want leaders that say, you know what, I want to, I want you to bring your baggage because that's your whole self. I yeah. want you to bring your experiences. I want you to bring what you wrestle with. We all have challenges. And fortunately, I think every no leader has been untouched globally with a little bit of mental health struggles, anxiety, feeling confused over the last year. And I hope that's a blessing that we all carry with us that that's if that's your first time experiencing it, there are others who experience it every day. I know that I recently was leading a panel around racial injustice and the comments are, oh, I know, you know, a lot of people, oh, I never knew. And I started the conversation that, you know, how many of you said, I never knew, and you show a raise of hands. And I shared that, you know, and how many of you have been living this way your entire life, oh, right? Yeah. Who have had to have the talk, have had to have the conversation with loved ones and family. And there's a lot in the room that were also raising their hands, right? And it's, a, it's an emotional experience to go, wow, where have I been? Yeah. What have I been missing? And uh. so that conversation about empathy is another key word we're going to continue to unpack, but I need to know you. I need to understand who you are, what you bring, what challenges you believe that exist, how can we help you uncover those? How can I uncover those in my own life? How can we remove the barriers that maybe I don't even know are here in our organization? And ask why. Why aren't we right. recruiting a more inclusive and equitable right. and diverse workforce? Right. Or if we do and you do tell an organization like ours, well, they, you know, when we hire People just don't stay. There's a very good reason that's not their fault. Right. I care. That's part of the calculation, right? We want to believe we're we're doing a great job. We have this like really bad habit of of saying like we've got it taken care of and we do it well and you know we we like to and I think we should assume actually we don't do it well. That's really what our baseline should be, right? Even without like my consulting team coming in and doing like focus groups and feeding that data to the executive team, which is what we do. And there's like shock and awe and distress and denial and bargaining. And like, it's like the stages of grief. But it's, I can promise even before beginning the work that there are opportunities. And so let's assume, let's just right out of the gate say, we have exclusionary behaviors. We have people who don't feel a sense of belonging here. The question to me is like, do we care? And how much do we care? And how committed are we going to be to understanding what that is and solutioning it? So 2020 might have been about digging it up or it just came up, right? Some of us dug it up. Some of us were hit in the face with it. Some of us were hauled out on social media about it. Like 
it was everywhere. And now 2021 is about saying, so what are we going to do about this? And I think, again, kind of new territory. The want, the will to change, as I call my podcast, but the skill to say, okay, so what do we put in place then to not only investigate this, but create a culture where we normalize, or like I prefer to say, usualize more identities, identities that have never been spoken before, experiences that have not been recognized and then resourced, like mental health. It has been the most forbidden, one of the most deeply stigmatized and hidden truths like across our workforce. And then it's exacerbated last year. It comes up, it becomes this undeniable emergency. It always was an emergency, but now we see it as such. And so let's not close the door on that. Let's not paper it over anymore. Like, let's really bring it forward. But the thing is, if people are afraid to bring it forward, we can't know how pervasive it is. We can't resource it and educate around it and equip managers and colleagues to support colleagues and not cause what you just said, an exodus from the workplace of people who are struggling because that has been our solution in the past. You just said, well, they, le they left. I don't know why. <laughs> it's because we really didn't prioritize saying, what do you need to thrive? What support can we provide? What are the barriers that you're experiencing? Where do you need flexibility or additional? What are you missing in terms of your own career hopes? You know, where do you not see role models that look like you? you know, where are you not being mentored and, and really sponsored? And like, you know, like, do you feel you're sort of being forgotten in this, particularly in this new virtual landscape, it's extremely risky to be out of sight, out of mind for so many of us that were already hanging on to our, our belonging in workplaces by a thread. So, you know, I think we're in, we're in a talent emergency. Yeah, and all you need to do is look at all the women that left the workforce last year, millions and millions. And so what support didn't we have in place so that when times got hard, we lost an entire generation of people that were already tenuously performing, right? And struggling. Yeah, when you share this and people talk often like, so where does DEI fit in the org chart? You know, we like to say it's a, it <laughs> really should be a core value. And if you want to create the most healthy work environment and world that you belong in, and if you really want to be creating ambassadors through your employees and clients and communities, you really need to be an ambassador for your people. And Jennifer, the questions you just outlined um, that everyone just heard, I recommend if you're on your podcast app, go back the 32nd. Uh, I do that all the time. 30 second replay here. <laughs> because if you write down these questions and you ask these questions of, if everyone listening to this podcast would just ask these questions in some of your one-on-ones and you care enough to hear the answers, you will find a profound sense of, this is yes, the first place. Yeah. Usually it's the first place that's ever asked this. I know, of the sadly. You employ, right? So, so again, as I mentioned earlier, like today is the future. Tomorrow is the future. Leaders 
you have the ability to be the leader you are hoping shows up tomorrow, right? By taking some of these steps and taking some of these actions. And Jennifer, thank you for going through so many of them because this will keep us all pretty busy I over think the so. next quarter or so. Right? It's a different way of leading. I think we're entering a, a long overdue redefinition of leadership, really. And it's, it's with the empathy, it's with the vulnerability, with the transparency, with the living with the discomfort and actually like seeking it because you know that it represents growth. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, gosh, that's so uncomfortable, how do I possibly ask these questions? You just got to jump in, I think. And also, by the way, don't make assumptions about who needs to be asked these questions and who doesn't. You don't know how someone identifies. You know, I could be on your team and you have no idea I'm LGBTQ+. And if I don't trust you, I haven't trusted you with that information. But if you ask me, hey, you know, I really want to make sure I understand what's getting in your way from a performance standpoint, from a potential standpoint. When we say bring your full self to work, it's such a, it's such a platitude. What does that mean for you? And what can I do to build an environment or what can we do to build an environment where you can do that? I might really say to myself, this is like, this is a leader I can trust with this information. I'm struggling with mental health. I have a caregiving situation in my family that I am finding untenable with my role. Can we discuss that? So it's a door. You're right. It's a door, Mike, and you're, you can just feel, you can feel the relief. I mean, I feel it when I walk, used to walk on a keynote stage. As I started to talk, people were leaning forward. They wanted so much to be acknowledged and hear their truth articulated. And then when I say, okay, break up into pairs at your tables and I want you to share something that you, you do not bring to work and something you feel a lot of, you're troubled about or you're shamed about or there's a lot of fatigue that you're managing and people just erupt because you've given permission in the container to be truthful and vulnerable with each other and that the want to do that is so intense. So we have to invite it and just trust that that will open up a very, very productive conversation that then we can do something with. Like, give me, leaders should be saying like, I want to know what problems I need to solve today. The problems we need to solve are problems of belonging. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much of those that we think about the statistics. And I, one of the reasons why we want to provide the report is for individuals to recognize the true business impact, let alone will you be a leader that's never forgotten by the employees that you employ, right? But you'll also see the true impact of enabling people to be most successful in your environment. And when you do this, they immediately become an ambassador for an organization because you're an ambassador for them first. And these are something that we talk so often about at the Talent Magnet Institute. The best way to get people to be an ambassador for you is, be is one. to lead first. Oh, I so right? agree. I'm an aspiring ally, but I'm I'm LGBTQ plus woman, right? So I need the allies. And at the same time as I am one, hoping that in doing that, I actually am learning. In being one, I'm learning what I need in one. So you're right. It's and being generous first, you know, and, and some of us lack that ally. And I, I would so hope if you're listening to this, that you have people in your corner, have people who are learning about how they can best be in solidarity with you 
And I love it when people check in with me uh, to say, how are you doing? And in the same way as I'm checking in right now with my Asian American loved ones and colleagues and saying, how are you doing? Tell me how I can support you. So we're doing, it's a both and, and it's this beautiful kind of 360 degree allyship that I think of it as, as we are it and we are it for others and we, and we need it for ourselves. Yeah. But one of the best ways to learn a skill, I think, is by doing it first. And then I think it clarifies what we really, maybe what we're missing in our professional lives. But we all need those folks because there's just some days where if you're on my side of the equation of needing allies, it's exhausting. And you always feel like you're the only one advocating for yourself. And if you don't do it, nobody else will speak up. You know, nobody will be mentioning your name for that stretch assignment. And in this virtual world, we are so much at risk of being that out of sight, out of mind too. So remember managers that you're also, you're also a mentor and you need to be a sponsor in a way for your people and all the talented people around you. Part of your job has shifted to talk people up, you know, to put the right people. And I, I would say the right people are those who are demographically underrepresented so least likely to be championed and putting those names and those people in front of the decision makers and, and putting us forward for jobs and stretch assignments and pipelining us yeah. so that we say, wow, there's somebody that really is looking out for me and thinking about my potential. It's something that we've lacked in the workplace. People tend to mentor and make time for people that look like them because that's just a comfortable, like automatic relationship. And so what ends up happening is a homogeneous leadership ends up raising up the next generation that looks like them that went to the same schools that, you know, that they have that common frame of reference. And yet that is the one of the most powerful sort of organizational capitals that can be shared is that kind of that unofficial stuff. That is like, what is the secret sauce of advancement? So like really look at your mentees, look at people you make time for, look at who you talk about, look at who you know and don't know in your circle, diversify your network, really make that commitment to spending some time, some concentrated time and effort strategically to make sure that our most talented are not forgotten this coming year. Yeah, and those who have those talents that are hidden and are silent and you know quieted in the organization, like maybe that's another place to start. Who do you know because you heard so much about when your company hired them, mm. but you look around and go, you know, I have not heard from her in the last year. I haven't had the conversation with him in the last six months. Look at your telephone, look at your cell phone history and scroll through the last 30, 40 names and see how diverse the world is on your cell phone. You know, we had one of our guests and one of our faculty, Dr. Janet Reed, she shared, you know, think about your dinner table, think about your cookouts, think about your base, you know, your sports, your activities that you're in with your children and just look and then say, you know what, we are missing a lot. There's a lot of good of people who have lots of different lived experiences and points of views and thoughts and energies that just aren't in the room with us, right? Jennifer, when you look at 
the work that you do through your podcast and the stories that you're hearing when you're out speaking or virtually speaking with organizations, you know, what are, are there two particular areas that continue to come up that you feel like, boy, if we could just, if the world could just have a solution to this, or if we could just provide, I'm sure that's part of why you wrote your book, but yeah, <laughs> but anything else that you can provide with our audience? Oh, I think that my prediction is we'll look back at how we've done DEI and not to be critical of it because it was, I think, the best we could do with the constraints that we had. But I do think we'll look back and say, why did we have so many people who were struggling with belonging carrying so much of the water for change? And part of it makes sense because we want to turn to those with the lived experience, like we've been talking about, to make sure we're at the table, virtual table or real table, contributing, being listened to, advising. That's so important, right? In the community of disabilities, they say nothing about us without us. So we're talking about the future of work. We need to make sure that table is representative. But so I think that the shift I wanted to create with the book was to, what about the rest of us? Is somebody else taking care of this DEI thing? <laughs> Aren't they taking care of it? Or, oh, we have a team for that. Or, oh, that's to the women. You know, we all eyes turn to the woman in the room to say, well, what do you think? What my vision would be for the future is that many hands make lighter work, that we all, if we've been sitting in on the sidelines, that we've stepped in, right? That we have, we are practicing, that we are developing the muscle slowly, that we are, you know, doing those training runs for the marathon someday, right? That we're, we're getting resilient, we're getting, we're equipping ourselves, we're getting more comfortable being uncomfortable. We're saying, you know, where can I help? What can I do, especially with privilege? And I like to say privilege with a small P because it, it terrifies people and kind of locks them up. I just mean we all have kinds of privilege. It can be, you know, who I know. It can be my capital, my, you know, my Rolodex. It can be the permission I have in certain rooms I find myself in. It can be that I can challenge certain things that somebody else challenged saying the exact same thing could be judged differently than or listen to or not listen to. So privilege just to me means what do I have greater ease with, greater comfort doing, taking less risk to do something that somebody else, it would be more risky for. And I think we all have degrees of this. And this is where that ally energy comes from to say, what it really means is where can I use my voice or activate the assets I have that somebody else doesn't have, but what am I doing with those? So I think that's where we're going to go next is really nailing down that. And when I have leaders who say, well, I just don't know what to do. I have so much privilege. Like I don't have the lived experience and I'm just, so I don't know if I can do anything. And I, and I say, wait a second, there's so much you can do. There's so, right away. This is not even complicated. Who do you have access to? Who are you talking about? What rooms can you get into? How can you be heard? How can you push back and challenge things without consequences for doing so? What are we, what are some of us allowed to do in this world? Like I, I can walk into the building I live in with a new doorman. It just happened last night and I live in New York City. So a lot of doorman buildings, they don't question who I am. He didn't know if I was a resident or not. I didn't get stopped. Who would have gotten stopped? So 
literally, when you start to pay attention to this, every single moment of every day, I mean, like me, I see it everywhere. I see my privilege in every step I take. And so then I think to myself, what matters is it was given to me for a reason. And the reason is I need to use it to do something. And what do I use it to do? I use it to address an inequitable workplace where thriving is being interrupted, where belonging is not happening, and I can do something about it, and I will do something about it. I think that's sort of a new conversation, I think. And I'm trying to hold that space for it and invite leaders in. And I honestly think it's actually like a missing piece. It's a really big missing piece because people are haven't been given a plan for that. We need to have the map and start to build out the what that the detail in the map. Because we're, some of us are really tired of of owning the whole conversation and it's really not even reasonable to do so. Yeah, and I love the you know holding the conversation, having the dialogue, creating safe environments for us all to have discussion about it, right? including those that are like, you know, now I'm supposed to feel, I mean, this is how some people feel. Yeah. Now I'm supposed to feel bad because of my privilege. No, mm. you're supposed to use your privilege. Exactly. For how can you serve? I'll share one of the things that we're doing with a program with our uh, regional urban league is looking at how to help individuals who are black get into more leadership seats. In the research that we've done, Jennifer, there's a disconnect as it relates to network, right? Oh, there yes. is a privilege of connection. You referenced it. And so many individuals don't know who to call, how to call, what calling looks like, how I'm supposed to reach out. And, and we, you know, being in the seat where I've been in the executive search business for a long time, you know that, I mean, it's a connections business. Oh, yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. you see things happen in the world and you don't think about, some people don't have that kind of access, right? So with this work we're doing, one, we know there needs to be more than one in the room, right? We need to get past that world. Yes, we do. Right? So, you know, someone may say, well, I have one person who you know, is LGBTQ plus or one person who's Asian or one person who's black. Like, I'm hoping that we move past that. I know some of the data that you share on your site references how stronger organizations perform when there's at least three board of directors. For every 1% increase in gender equity, it is proven that you will see a minimum 3% increase in sales revenue. We've talked about that statistic a couple times with guests. Yes. The other thing is think about to our listeners, what we've talked about regarding disengagement. Mm. I love one of the statistics you all share, Jennifer, that $3,400 disengaged employees cost $3,400 for every 10,000 in annual sales. Ouch. And engaged companies experience profits up to three times faster when your employees are engaged. So direct correlation to helping people feel valued, heard, and understood, walking through the discussion that Jennifer and I have had with you today and thinking through, I mean, one, it's the right thing to do as a human, right? Sure. To help all humans bring out their greatest good. 
Two, if you're still stuck there, say, oh my gosh, we are losing revenue. We are losing creativity, innovation, um, growth, long-term sustainability because of our lack of equality and inclusion and helping people in the belonging inside our organization. So turn it from a look at what all we're losing. Look at all of the opportunity that's walking right out the door that we'll never see. And if you have a strategic plan and if you make this a key value and foundation and big rock, it will impact the performance of your organization in a positive way. That's right. And equip you for the future because the demographics of your customers are also changing and you want to make sure you're you're ahead, not just meeting them, but ahead of who they look like. And they look like they're incredibly diverse. And the problem is our workforces don't quite mirror that yet. They might at the junior levels, because those are the most diverse generations, right? Coming in millennial and Gen Z. But the top of the house in particular, I think is feeling a lot of heat because it's this, this disconnect that's very visible. And it's presumed and true that um, we could be out of step because our world is changing, but we haven't changed. And there's only so much, so good that we can be to overcome that. We have to be probably <laughs> superhuman to overcome that lack of lived experience in the C-suite, in the top leadership, because we're going to miss a lot of twists and turns. And this is a very chaotic landscape that we're navigating. So we need we need all of those perspectives because we're going to have a lot of blind corners and, you know, flexibility and um, twists and agility and responsiveness to crises too. I mean, not to mention the social justice upheavals that are probably just a regular part of our future. How will we know to respond when we don't have people around the table to say, you know, nothing about us without us, like, here's, here's what we would recommend, because we are in this community. Like there is nothing that replaces that. And you don't want to wait till the point where, oh my goodness, we're in a crisis and we have, we can't even get the right people or we only have one to your point. And we're literally leaning on that person to tell us about the entire experience of one community, which is never realistic or fair. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Joining our audience. I'm so, I know there's many of our audience that do follow you that are connected. I hope so. But I invite those who aren't We'll provide how to connect with Jennifer through LinkedIn, website links. We'll provide a link to the Inclusive Leader Assessment, a link to the most recent book, and also to some data and additional reporting, as well as your DEI call. So action orientation, what you hear today is only as good as how much action and implementation that you move, how it moves you, how you take the questions that Jennifer shared about midway through the episode and write those down and have a dialogue with your team about these topics, right? Conversation is where it starts. Conversation is where lives get changed. And when people know that you care for them, they show up better each and every day. You're in the, you're unlocking their greatest potential. So Jennifer, thank you for being on the, this episode. Thanks, Mike. You're so inspiring. I love your words and the way you speak from the heart. So thank you. This was really enjoyable. I look forward to our next conversation. Me too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. 
Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.